The last week we looked at um, Romans 6, uh, the passage which is entitled Dead to Sin and Alive in Christ. And we looked at what it is to be dead to sin. And this week we were going to look at alive in Christ. So Romans 6 is, is quite clear about sin and about life, that we are dead to sin and that we are alive to Christ, that sin has no hold over us once we have given our lives to Christ, that it has no place with us or for us, but it's still there, it's still there. And we looked at last week, we looked at the nature of sin, the consequences of sin, and we looked at how we can overcome sin. And this week I want to move on to a little bit more about why, why, and why that makes us alive in Christ. So the nature of sin, we looked at the fact that it is sly, it is seedy, it is sneaky, it is surreptitious. It comes up and hits you on the back of the head. You don't often see it coming. Sometimes it's full frontal, sometimes it comes right at you, but you don't know it. It is, it is sly. We read verses that told us that, the, that sin is crouching at our door. From the moment we wake up, sin is crouching at our door. We talked about sin being a prowling lion waiting to devour us, that it is after us. But it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be scared of, but to be aware of. The Bible says to be alert and of a sober mind so that we may not be overcome by sin. We talked about the consequences of sin. I talked about the story of the, the diplomat, the American diplomat that ran over a boy that was riding a, a motorbike, and he died. So there was consequences to what she'd done. There were consequences to her sin. The family were in much grief. The boy had died, but she was never going to be prosecuted because she had diplomatic immunity. And in a strange way, it's a bit like, like that for us with sin, and that Jesus gives us immunity from sin. That when we sin, Jesus says, I've paid for that. When we go and repent him, he says, I've paid for that. But we must remember that there are consequences to our sin, which is why he said, we also looked in John 8, at the woman that was brought to him in adultery. Jesus said, I condemn you no more. I don't condemn you, but you need to go and sin no more. What he's saying is, I've, I will pay for your sin. I will forgive you of your sin. You must go and sin no more because there are still consequences to your sin. And we looked at how we might overcome sin and how we can leave our life of sin, what Jesus says in the NIV. He said to leave, go and leave your life of sin. Don't live that life anymore. Leave it behind you. And we talked about the fact that we could just stop it. We could try and stop it. It resides with us, that choice. That same choice we had to follow Jesus is the same choice we have every day to sin or to not. We still have this, this free will. We have a choice. The Holy Spirit warns us if we tune our voice, and we'll look a little bit about that tonight, if we tune our voice to listen to the Holy Spirit, we will hear the warnings of the Holy Spirit to say, don't do this. Come this way. Don't go that way. Come this way. If we tune in and we listen, but sometimes we drown it out. The Word of God, the very manual for life that we have been given, shows us how we can beat sin and warns us of what it is. And repentance, that coming to God daily, and saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. I've messed up again. There's that. It's not a get out of jail free. Jesus has paid for the sin, and we must remember that. But he's done it so that we can come to him, and we can repent of it, and we can be free from guilt and shame. Romans 6 talked of, of two big themes, really. It talked of death and life. It talked of death and that we are dead to sin, and sin leads to death. It talked about death 17 times in Romans 6. And it talks about life. 14 times it talks about life or resurrection or being raised into a new life. And the other main theme was slavery, being slave or free and being a master or being subject to a master in slavery. We'll look a little bit more about that this evening as well. So those, those were the main themes that we looked at last week in Romans 6 at the beginning. I'm not going to read the whole passage again because it's quite long. But I want to move on to the, the second part of Romans 6. And this is going to be 
Uh, Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. So if you've got your Bibles with you, it's um, in Romans 6. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means, or not at all. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that there were some people that, that were in the mode of believing that the more they sinned, the more grace was poured out upon them and more mercy was poured out on them and therefore God was glorified more. So if we sin more, God is glorified more. And I said, that, well, that's true. That's not the point. That's not what Paul is saying here. Yes, that's true, but God doesn't want us to sin. He says, go and sin no more. And there are reasons for that, which again, we looked at last week. So he says, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So we're under grace now, but by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now you offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what Paul is getting at here is that we are slaves to one or the other. We are slaves to sin, or we are slaves to God and righteousness and obedience. It's one or the other. There is no middle ground. You can't stand in the middle. If you're not a slave to God and to righteousness, you're a slave to sin. It says so in verses 16 and 17, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You're one or the other. And verse 20 says, when, when you were slaves to sin. So before we knew Christ, we were slaves to sin. And when we come to know Christ, we are slaves to God, slaves to righteousness and slaves to obedience. Now, I want to talk about uh, slavery here, biblical slavery, for a moment. There is a sla- when we talk about the, the word slavery, we immediately think of the last 200 years and we think of the slave trade and how abhorrent that was and how awful that was and, and shamefully still is. But what Paul is alluding to here is a, a different kind of slavery um, within biblical times. It's talking about someone that was a bond servant. So someone that would submit themselves to slavery, submit themselves to servanthood, to pay off a debt. And this is why it's such a good analogy for the people that Paul is talking to. It's just quite prevalent in their time. So if someone had a debt, if someone had something they owed, they could go to the, the person they owed the debt to and say, I will come and work for you. I will submit myself to your, um, your mastery, to you as my master, until I've paid off this debt. And the great thing in Judaism is every seven years, there was a year of jubilee when they were set free, when all, all slaves or bond servants were set 
free. So Paul is using this, this term that people understand is saying that you submit yourselves to slavery. He's not talking about people that have been rents from their home um, and been sold as slaves. But that still happened at that time through military conquest, etc. But he's talking here about someone that willingly submits to a master, which is what we are uh, invited to do. So there's two masters here that Paul is talking about. There's the, the master of sin and there's the master of righteousness. The master of sin is the devil, is the enemy, and the master of righteousness is God. We can be slaves to God, slaves to righteousness. Now, if we are a slave to sin, it leads to death. Verse 16 tells us this, as does other places in the Bible. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves as someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. At the end of our passage, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So and if you live under the master of sin, if you are a slave to sin, there's only one end for you, and that's death. That's eternal death. It also goes on to say that being a slave to sin leads to ever-increasing wickedness. If you look in verse 19, it says, I'm using an example from everyday life. This is what Paul was using, this example of, of slavery, of being a bondservant. I'm using this example because of your human limitations. Just as you offered yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. So Paul talks about this ever-increasing wickedness. If you submit yourself to the, to the master of sin, if you are a slave to sin, then your wickedness increases or ever-increase. And we talked last week about the consequences of sin and how that drives us away from God. The more wickedness that we get involved in, the more sin that we, that we do, the more sin that we get involved in we, and we don't repent over can drive us away from God. We talked last week about the frostiness in a relationship. If you've upset somebody, if you've done something that's upset them or, or them to you, there's a little bit of frostiness. Until you deal with that, until you, until you come to an understanding and then, and then that frostiness goes away, but immediately there's that, that little hesitancy perhaps when you meet someone. And the same thing happens with God. When we sin and we fall into wickedness, there's a, God will never stop loving us. God will never stop pouring out his grace and mercy on us. However, there's that little bit of frostiness. But then Jesus says, repent. Come to me. Confess your sins and be free. And your guilt and shame like the woman uh, who was caught in adultery. I will not condemn you, but go and sin no more. But this is the result of being a slave to sin, is there is eternal death. But that's without God. If you just imagine that for a moment, there being no God forever. It's quite horrible. It's what sin what sin leads to. So what's the other choice then? We can't be in the middle. It's one or the other. The other choice is to be slave to righteousness or a slave to God. Verse 19 again talks about us being slaves to righteousness. Verse 22 says that we are, we are to become slaves of God. But still slavery just seems a bit strange, doesn't it? We sing songs, don't we, saying, so no longer slaves. I took my message last week, no longer slaves. We like to shout that rallying cry, we're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves, and yet we are called to be slaves to God. Why leave one master to go and be slave to another? Well, the difference with being a slave to God is it's your choice. He calls you to be a slave to God in that you submit yourself to his mastery. You submit yourself to him as master and lord of your life. And the difference with being a slave to God is at any time you can say, I don't want to do this anymore. And you can go your own way. God doesn't make you do anything. 
but he compels you to be a slave to righteousness. He compels you to go his way. He compels you to submit yourself to the Bible, to submit yourself what he would have for your life and the goodness that he has for you. It's for your benefit. And what are these benefits? Being a slave to righteousness, this strange term, being a slave. But it leads to eternal life with God. So that's the complete opposite of sin leading to death. When we are slaves to righteousness, slaves to God, it's eternal life with him forever and ever. That's a long time. Have you ever tried to think about forever? I do this quite a lot, and I try and think about how long forever is, and it kind of starts to irritate me and start to blow my mind because I cannot comprehend it because we, at the moment, think that we are finite beings. But forever is a long time. It's be with God forever versus eternal death. The other thing it does is it leads to holiness. Verse 19 says it leads us to holiness. So offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Now that's not from trying harder. I will, I will be holy. I will try and be holy. I will try and do things differently. I will try and stop sinning. I will try. Holiness is in submitting to God. It's letting go of yourself, that dying to sin, dying to who I am, and submitting to God. What do you want me to do, God? How do you want me to live my life? What is it you've got for me? And becoming more like Jesus. Letting go of the things that makes us our frail human selves and becoming more like God. That is what holiness is. Holiness, holy means set apart. Set apart for a different purpose. And holiness is being set apart for that, aiming for that. We will never be holy this side of heaven, but when Jesus comes back and restores us with our heavenly bodies, holiness will come. But that doesn't stop us between now and then becoming more like Jesus, to be more Christ-like, to be more like him. But it's not through trying harder. It's from submitting to God, letting go of the things that we used to do, not allowing sin to be in our life anymore, and saying to God, I want what you have for me. I want the things you want me to do. And when we become more like Christ, I started to think about this, and just these five Ps came to, came to mind, but when we become more like Christ, we have more peace because we know who we are. We're not striving to fit in anymore. We're not striving to, to take what the world have for, has for us. We're not striving to, to reach material status. We have peace because we know who we are, and we have Christ within us. We have prosperity that awful word that we, they hear in Christian circles, prosperity. But I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel, you will be rich if you follow God. I'm talking prosperity in the sense that God gives you what you need. He may not give you what you want, but he gives you what you need and your, your needs begin to evaporate. The stories are abound of people that, that once struggled, that gave their lives to Christ and suddenly their life is on an even keel. When we become more like Christ, we become prosperous. Jesus needed nothing. There's a plan for our life. When we have Christ on our life, there's a plan. His, his word is full of plans for us. Tells us what it is that he wants for us. There's a purpose for our lives. We don't run through life listlessly thinking, why am I here? Why am I here? What is life all about? Jesus tells us what life is all about. When we become more like him, we know that there is a purpose. He came to save the lost and he leaves us with the same mandate to do the same just for starters. There is so much more that he calls us to do. Jesus had position. He knew he was a child of God. And the same is for us. When we become more like Christ, more holy, we understand what our position is. It's to be humble. It's at the bottom. But that's the best place to be. And he gives us power. We read in the prayer that I started, Ephesians 3, it talks about the power that is within us. 
When we become more like Christ and we eradicate sin from our lives, what God can do in us and through us becomes greater. And there's more power for us to do what he wants us to do. Not power for ourselves, but power to do what he would have us do. So how do we bring this about then? How do we come from this uh, this place of sin because we were all born into sin and we have now died to sin those of us that are in Christ and we are now slaves to God we are alive in Christ that's a fact that happens the moment that you give your life to Christ is it kind of an instant change but to see continuing change to see us become alive in Christ to see us reach these things that that Christ wants us to we have to make a choice there's a wife that my a word that my wife uses with me all the time and it really annoys me because in this instance, I think she's right. And it's mindset. She keeps saying, your mindset's wrong. Your mindset's wrong. You've got to change your mindset. And I rail against it all the time because I think I'm right. You know, right's my name. You know what I mean? I think I'm right. But, but she is right. She is right. It's mindset. It's how you, you think. It's the choice. Can you imagine? So let, let's remember what we're talking about here. We are dead to sin. And we're now alive in Christ. We were once in sin before we knew Christ. And now we've been raised to life in Christ. Sin is no longer part of our lives. And we now are alive in Christ and we follow him. That's the status quo. Imagine if you had a job that absolutely sucked. It was awful. They made you work too hard. They made you work too long. They called you on the weekends. They didn't pay you on time. And it was really, really rough. And you wanted to get out of that job, you manage it. You get out of that job you start a new job, you start work on Monday, and life is rosy, they finally start paying you on time, they're kind to you, the people you work with are lovely, everything's going beautiful, and then the following Saturday, your old boss rings you up and says, I need you in, there's a new order come in, and I need you back into work, what are you going to say? We all know what we would say, maybe I won't repeat it, but we know what we would say, I'm not coming into work, I'm not doing it, you're not the boss of me, you're not my boss anymore, I don't work for you anymore, I've got a new job, and I'm perfectly happy, I'm not coming back to work there. You couldn't make me go back to work there if you tried. That's what we would say. So why is it then when our old self resurrects itself, why is it when sin and the temptation of sin comes that we actually listen for a little bit longer? We think, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, that was, there were some good times. They were quite comfortable. It wasn't all bad. And slowly we drift back into that old job. Slowly we drift back into that old life because we forget just how good the life is that we have. And it's all about mindset. Is my mind resolute? Am I in this camp? Am I alive in Christ or am I dead to sin? You can't straddle both because it gets very painful. Very painful because you'll end up drifting back. There's only one way that you'll end up drifting. So we need to have new thinking patterns. We need to think about what we think about. Am I going to go back to sin? Am I going to allow sin entertain my life? Remember we watched the Only Fools and Horses clip last week of Rodney, he's just got married, he started a new life with his wife, started a new life, but he ends up back in his brother's flat, and his brother says to him, Rodney, you don't live here anymore, and it's the same with sin, sin, you don't live here anymore, why don't you come back, it's really lovely here, do you remember what it was like, it's great, you don't live here anymore, you don't have any part in my life, it's a mindset, and it's having that mind resolute, that whenever sin comes knocking, it might be crouching at your door, it might be prowling like a lion, but when you see it, you say, no, <laughs> I don't live here anymore, you don't live here anymore, I live somewhere else, and I live a different life, you have no part in my life anymore. I think of, have you seen the, the house drawers that come through on the internet that plague you, is it by Omaze, 
I think it's quarter, they offer you a two million pound house in Norfolk and a new brand new camper van and a hundred thousand pounds to move in and you're like, oh God, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be, I'd be set then. That would be it. I wouldn't have to worry about a thing how easy these things slip into our minds. And I've been sucked in once or twice as my wife looked through the bank statement and said, what's this? I've been sucked in. And why is it? Why is that? Because it's a promise of something fulfilling. It's a promise of something that you think will fulfill you. And it doesn't. And that's what sin does. It tries to trick you into thinking that what it's got is good for you. And it will fulfill you and it will give you what you need. And this is where our mindset comes in. We need to remind ourselves that Christ gives us all that we need. He gives us more than we need. And when we think that we've got all that he could possibly give us, there is more. And that is what being alive in Christ means, is that his riches never end. What he has for you, his goodness that we've been singing about tonight, never ends. There is more where that came from, and more, and more, and more. And yet still, that voice whispers, come over here, come over here. You don't live here anymore. You have no place here. So it's about mindset. And Paul, this isn't the only place that Paul alludes to thinking, alludes to the mind. Many of you have heard Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy and his grace that is poured out on us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember last week, at the beginning of uh, Romans 6, in that passage, it talks about offering yourself, offering your parts, your body, as living sacrifices to righteousness, not to sin, but to righteousness. Paul is saying the same things here. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship isn't just singing on a Sunday night or on a Sunday morning. Worship is how we live our lives. And that's daily offering our lives to him. We, did, we talked about that prayer last week. I don't know how you got on with it, that prayer. Perhaps you could say it every day. Lord God, I give you my lips. I give you my ears. I give you my eyes, my mind. I give you my hands, my feet and my heart. And I'll give them to you for righteousness. I want you to use them for righteousness. Don't let them fall into sin. It's a daily decision. It's a daily mindset that that is what we will do. God, I'm for you. I'm for you and I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to fall back into sin. But Karen reading, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. By changing our mindset and thinking God is for us. God only has the best for me. God has so much more for me than this life that I used to live. It's spending time with God. It's God, I'm for you. I'm with you. What have you got for me? Spending time with God and tuning out the noise of the world. Tuning out the sin. Tuning out the what was. Ignoring that and listening to what God has for you. Listening to the Holy Spirit. When you can hear the whisperings, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, it will save you from so much grief and so much pain. The world would call it a conscience, your conscience, the, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. What a lot of rubbish. The Holy Spirit, if you listen to him, will guide you and will save you more often than you believe. But it starts with a mind. Clear my mind of all that. I'm not watching that. I talked last week. There's some of the things I won't go over last week all the time, but some of the things I've recently given up because I realized it was noise. It, it, was, it was bad stuff. But what it does is it it tunes out the Holy Spirit. This is background noise that stops me from hearing what God is trying to say to me. And I've made some changes and I'm already seeing the difference in the last couple of weeks. But Paul goes on to talk about the mind. He talks to the Colossians as well in his letter to the Colossians. This is in Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, it would be lovely to think that when you become a Christian, you get a brain transplant and it just stops you from wanting to do anything you ever used to do. But we all know that doesn't happen. That would be great, but it doesn't happen because we're left with choice. We're left with freedom. And we have to use that freedom. We have to use that choice wisely. So when Paul is saying here, set your mind on things above, we have a choice, a daily choice. And sometimes it can be hard work. We want easy answers, don't we, a lot of the time. But it's a daily choice. Set my mind on things above. Set my heart on things above and not on the things of this earth. It's not saying be weird. It's not saying you can't be in the world. It's not saying you can't talk to people. It's not saying you can't go out with friends. But set your mind and your heart on things above that keep us from this sin. It goes on to say, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to talk, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, that life when we were in sin, but we are now dead to. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. See, that first list, that's easy, isn't it? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Kind of don't do that anymore. You know, kind of, I've got that nailed. That's all right. But then it says, anger. Anybody get angry? Oh, two, that's all right. It's not just me then. What about, hang on. What about rage? Who drives a car? Rage? Yeah. Malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. But I love this. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, we need to take off our old self. George Muller once said, when he was asked, how have you changed? How have you been able to stop sinning? Why is it you have become almost so holy? And he said, I put George Muller to death. I put George Muller to death. He is dead to me. And I am now alive in Christ. I don't want to be that person anymore. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have now put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, becoming more like God. God wants us to be more like him. But it starts with us. It starts with us saying, I don't want that. I don't want what I was, God. I don't want those things I used to be part of. I don't want those things that dragged me down. I want what you've got for me. I want to be holy. I want to be like you. I want to be full of peace. I want to be full of joy. I want people to be attracted to me or you in me, just like they were attracted to you. I want to make a difference, and I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be this new person who you have made me to be. But how do, we, how do we do that? How do we do this? We've talked about mindset, but I love this, this psalm. You know, quite often, I find in the, the eight years that I've been training in ministry and, and been in ministry, whenever you have a new idea, whenever you think this will work, whenever you think, I'll try this, someone will say to you, there's nothing new under the sun. Just, there's nothing new under the sun. We've tried that before. We've done it before. And it's true. It is true. But I think King David, who wrote the Psalms, could have said this to the Apostle Paul. He said, Paul, there's nothing new under the sun, what you're saying. Let me take you back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take 
or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That one psalm sums up our daily life. If we want to be dead to sin, and when we want to be alive to Christ, there's some choices here that we need to make. Do not walk in step with the wicked. Don't follow the crowd. Don't do what they do just because it's okay in the moment. Don't do it. Don't stand in the way that sinners take. Don't do it. Or sit in the company of mockers. Have you been in work before and there's been a group of people and they've been running somebody down or they've been enjoying their misfortune? They've been mocking somebody, exactly that, sit in the company of mockers. Or those people that would mock God, don't sit in their company, don't do it. Don't fall into those traps. But blessed will be the one then whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now this is where you think I'm going to say to you, just read your Bible more. Just read your Bible more and it'll be okay. But it is getting the word of God inside us. It's getting God inside us. Now whether you listen to the Bible on an app, whether you read the Bible every day, whether you do a verse a day or 10 chapters a day, whether you listen to worship music, and don't be offended when I say this, but not that Jesus is my boyfriend music, but the scriptural music that has scripture in tune. Get the word of God into your heart. Get the word of God into your mind, and it will transform you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but what are you going to renew your mind with? Positive thought? But that relies on you. Or are you going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind by allowing Scripture in whatever form you choose, whatever God says, get it into your mind. Because once you get it into your mind, it will drop into your heart. And we know the thought pattern is mind, heart, action. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get Scripture into your mind, it will drop into your heart, and you'll start to do what it says. And sin will start to die, and righteousness will start to come to the fore. And we will become more alive in Christ so I want to ask you this evening, before I come to, I've got a, an analogy that I really believe God dropped into my heart this week, but what do you want from this life that you're alive with Christ? Are you content with what you see? Are you content with what you have? Are you content that you are dead to sin? Are you fully content that you are dead to sin? Because I'm not, because I get reminded most days. But are you content with that? Are you content with being alive in Christ? You may be living a great life at the moment. You'd be really close to God, but are you content? Do you want more? See, the good thing is about being alive in Christ is that the goodness never ends. The riches that he promises us never end. Whenever you think you've got what you need, God will offer you more. Whenever you think you've got to the mountaintop, there's another mountain in the distance. You can go even higher. God wants more for you. But that's a life of righteousness. It's the life of being more like God. It's a life of seeing I'm not who I used to be. That person's dead. I'm I'm someone else. I'm getting more and more like Christ. When I look in the mirror, I look more like Christ. I am sinning less and I'm looking more like Christ. And I can see my life making a difference. Do you want more? Do you want more of what God has got for you? 
Or are you just content with what you've got right now? That's a question that I just want to ask you. See, I was, I was praying with somebody this week, and they didn't want me sharing this. They had put in um, an offer on a house. So I'm not talking financially here. I'm talking about uh, answers to prayer. And we were sat uh, drinking coffee, and we were talking about the fact we really want this house. And long story short, I said, right, well, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. And we talked about um, generosity and being more like God, wanting to be more like God. I said, God is generous. God is really generous. Then this guy said, look, I know I've put in a cheeky offer on this house. I know it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's a little bit kind of, i hedge hedging my bets here. And we started to talk about God being generous. I said, I think I need to maybe just be more generous and not so cheeky. I said, well, let's pray. Let's pray anyway. Let's pray for this house. And we prayed, Lord, if this is the house for them, then we pray, Lord, that you will give them a sign, that you will show them that this is the house for them. Two hours later, he texts me. He hadn't moved his offer at all, but he texts me saying they've just reduced the offer of the house to within the range that we wanted to ask for. And he said, so what I've done is I've met them kind of halfway. I've said, I'm going to be generous. I've met them halfway, and that's it. And that's it, and the house is theirs. In two hours, we asked for God to show them, and God showed them exactly what he wanted for them, what he had for them. Now, this was about a house. It sounds very materialistic, but God answers prayers. There is more from God than what we are asking. There is more. It could be someone in your family, you want to come to Christ. It could be someone in your workplace, you want to come to Christ. It could be a wayward son, a wayward daughter, that you want to come back to Christ. God always wants more. And it could be that you play a part in that. It could be you're working somewhere and you think, this is awful. I'd rather be working anywhere else but here. But how do you not know that God wants you to be the agent of change? How do you not know that he wants you to be dead to sin and alive in Christ? He wants you to be the light in that workplace, the place that lights up the dark, the place where people think, I can talk to this guy, because this guy is real. This guy has joy. This guy has peace. I want what he's got. Do we want more from God, or are we content with what we've got? I was in the hall upstairs this week, and God is so good. And I was just trying to set up for Wednesday night when we were doing the, um, the community group for Inspired, the, the information evening. And I was thinking about this message as I was on the computer. And I just stopped and I just looked out of the window at this beautiful blue sky. Do you remember that? This beautiful blue sky. And this plane was going across with its vapor trail. And I just was caught by it, looked at it. And God just dropped this thought into my heart. So I really hope this is for somebody tonight and you don't put off by the strangeness of it. But you know when you travel and you go to the airport. You turn up, you've got your passport, and you've got your boarding pass, whichever form that may take, and you go up, and you get through that first gate. I'm thinking of Bristol, because that's, that's where I go from most. And you lay down your, your boarding pass, and you're in. You're in. You say to Jesus, I want to follow you. I believe that you're God's son, and I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that you rose again, and I want to follow you. You're in. You're in the airport. You're in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom of God. You've got in because of your identity, who you are. I'm now a child of God. You're in. But then you've got to go for this next step. If you want to get on this plane, they've got to check your baggage. They've got to check what you're carrying. And there's some things they'll allow you through with. And there's some things they won't. And if, like my wife, you've got umpteen bottles of perfume and all these different lotions and potions, no, you can't take them through. She tries. You can't take a gun through. You can't take a knife through. You can't take explosives through. There's things you can't take through. And the signs ever are saying, if you want to go further, you've got to leave them here. You can't take them. And we say, well, 
they're mine. I'm, I want them. They're my stuff. Well, that's fine, sir. You can keep them, but you're not going any further. Now, I just want to say to someone tonight, maybe, maybe to everyone, I don't know. But have you thought about where God may want to take you? Have you thought about your final destination? Have you thought about all the wonderful places that God may want to take you? But because you're not willing to let go of your lotions and your potions and your gun and your firearms, you can't get on the flight. God wants to take you to places you can only dream of. He wants to take you to places where you can be so effective that you can change your workplace, you can change your family, you can change your school, you can change your life. But there's some things you just don't want to let go of yet. And I want to challenge you tonight that if you want to be alive in Christ, you need to be dead to sin. There's some things we need to let go. There's some things we've just got to let go of. But it may be tonight you just, you've done that. But it's like, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I've let go of everything I can think of. But I want to go further. I want to give you an opportunity as well tonight to ask God to take you further. Where is it you want me to go? So I'm going to ask the the band to come up and and join me. We're going to sing a song after I've prayed. And I saw it on the song list. And it's called Make Room. We've We've been singing a lot. But it's about making room for God to do what we want him to do or what he wants to do in our lives. It's about making room. So I wonder tonight if there's something in your life that you need to get rid of to make room of what God wants to give you, what he wants to do in your life. You know, you want to go through that gate. You want to go through that metal detector. You want to go through that x-ray machine. You want to go where God is going to take you. But you've got this stuff in your hand and he wants you to put it down. However precious you may think it is, he wants you to put it down because what he's got for you is far better. Because being alive in Christ is so much better than being alive in sin. We need to be dead to sin and we need to be alive in Christ. So why don't you stand for a moment and I'm going to take some time just to ask you as I'm praying, to do some business with God. And then we're going to respond in song. Lord God, I believe, I truly believe there are people here tonight, and I'm talking to myself too, that want to go to places with you that we can't imagine, that we know there must be more than this. There's more to this Christian life than we've seen already. We're so grateful, Lord, that we're saved. We're so grateful that our identity is in you, that we're in the kingdom of God. We've been saved by you. We're forgiven by you. But Lord, your word says that there is more. You want us to do more. And we need more of you to do it. Lord, I just ask that you show us tonight, every one of us here, what it is you want us to put down. We're about to to board this flight with you that's going to take us to new heights. It's going to take us to new things, perhaps new ministries, things that you've talked of and we, we thought are over. It's not going to happen. It's because we're not ready, because we're holding on too tight to something else. And it might be sin. It might be a person. It might be an attitude. It might be a job. But Lord, I ask that you would show us tonight what it is you want us to put down what it is you want us to put in that bin by the gate. If we want to go on further with you, we want to go higher with you, we want to receive more from you, there are things that we just have to put down. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, 
to put your finger on those things to touch our hearts to touch our minds to really help us think what those things are I'm just going to be quiet for a moment and allow us to just think just well and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and Lord as we sing this song and we sing these pertinent lyrics about making room for you to do what you want to do and to let go of the things that may well be stopping us from going where you want us to go or to have what you want us to have. I pray as we sing these words and as we worship you that you would do what you do. That you would meet your promises. And as we hand you what we don't want to hang on to anymore, Lord, that you would take it and you would replace it. That divine exchange, Lord, that began when we gave our lives to you. I pray that that divine exchange will continue where we give up sinfulness for holiness. When we die to ourselves and we say, I want to be more like you, God. I want people to see you in me, not the old me. So Lord, as we worship you, would you meet with us? Would you help us to give up what we need to so that you can give us what you want to? In Jesus' name, amen.